Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. This is the weekend edition. A lot to look at coming up for this weekend, including uh, the Olympics are underway. And there's some things to watch for with that. Also, one of the things going on with the Olympics is always a chance to push some political agendas. One of the big ones they're pushing is climate change. We'll talk about that and have a look at uh, some of what they're talking about with the Olympics and climate change. That and more is coming up in this weekend edition of Trumpet Radio Live, 101.3 KPCG. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live. This is the weekend edition on 101.3 KPCG and online. We are at kpcg.fm and a live link at thetrumpet.com. As a reminder, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcgfm. And if you'd like to email any questions or comments or concerns, you can send those to comments at kpcg.fm. Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon with you here today. Uh, and uh, the the Winter Olympics are underway. You get a chance to uh, check any of that out yet? Yes, I actually did get to watch some of it last night. I developed a whole new appreciation for curling because they would roll that stone down there, and depending on where they brushed in front of the stone as it was moving, they could move that thing exactly where they wanted it to go. I was really impressed. It is a it is a high skill sport, although it it seems a little silly when you haven't done it. I've never done it, but I. I th- from my understanding is uh, when they sweep the ice, it, it heats it up, and mm-hmm. that, that uh, oh, I forget if it slows it or speeds up the... the I think it speeds it up. Speeds it up, it up yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it is an interesting sport. They used to have those um, up in uh, Wisconsin, where I'm from originally. They'd have, a, they'd have a Badger State Games, and they'd have all those activities. I don't know if they do that. Do they do that in Oklahoma? Do they have an Oklahoma State Games? I'm not sure. Uh, that would be pretty exciting to attend, if, if possible. Yeah. How far can you throw a... Uh, 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 what do they call those things? Um, oh, tumbleweed, <laughs> <laughs> things like that. Other other uh, activities. Here's uh, five stories to watch. They say if you're interested in the Olympics this year, uh, Russia's kinda sorta ban. Officially, Russia was banned from sending a team to Pyeongchang as penance for its elaborate state-sponsored doping scheme at the Sochi Olympics. But 169 athletes who were deemed clean by the IOC will each compete as a, quote, Olympic athlete from Russia. They won't march under their nation's flag or hear its anthem if they medal, but they'll ensure that Russia's presence is felt. That's kind of an odd... You you can't have a Russian team, but you can be a, uh, an Olympic athlete from Russia. Right, and there were, uh, I guess, different boxes next to the ice rink last night during the figure skating. And most of the boxes for the different countries were filled. They had their flags in, at the front of the box. A lot of athletes were in there watching. And then you go over to the Olympic athletes from Russia box, and all it says is OAR, so or, like the paddle of a boat. Oh. And there's only like two officials sitting in there, but no athletes at all. It just was a, quite a striking co- contrast from the rest of those different teams. It's like being not invaded by the Russian army, but by soldiers from Russia. <laughs> exactly. Still, still the same effect. There's some new events to look for at the Olympics this year, if you're interested. Four events will make their debut. 
The Alpine Team Competition, in which 16 countries square off in a mixed-gender slalom tournament. Big air snowboarding, boarders ascend to the top of a tower, then fly off a 160-foot ramp. No thanks. Mixed double, I mean, that'd be fun to watch. I don't want to do it. (laughs) Uh, Mixed doubles curling. So they're adding this, which features two curlers, a man and a woman, on a squad rather than the usual four, and a mass start speed skating. Think of a very crowded oval. So those are four new events to look for this year at the Olympics. Yeah, it's really exciting. The um, Obviously, the only one I saw last night was the curling and a little bit of the figure skating, uh, but there was a brother-sister combo for one of the U.S. curling teams. That was pretty cool to see that, to live the dream with someone really close to you like that yeah talent runs in the family i guess another thing to look for the olympics age is just a number they say no sporting event mixes young and old quite like the olympics german speed skater claudia peckstein 45 will become the first woman to compete in seven winter games in the 5,000 meters she's seeking to become the oldest winter olympic medalist in an individual event Team USA's oldest member, hockey player Brian uh, Gianto. Yeah, sorry, Gianta. 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 Yes. Okay, thank you. Used to play for the Sabers. Okay, thirty-nine. That's my age. Spurned. <laughs> I sh- why am I not there? Spurned <laughs> offers from the NHL so he could return to the games a dozen years after his previous Olympic Olympic appearance. And uh, Americans uh, Kelly Clark snowboarding, Kikan Randall cross country skiing, and Shani Davis speed skating are all appearing in their fifth Olympics. The youngest U.S. Olympian is a figure skater, Vincent Zhu, who is uh, 17. So it is interesting, the difference in age. Even in some of the uh, events where you'll have somebody that could be as young as 17 or or somewhere in there, and then somebody that's 45 competing in the same thing. Yeah, and that's the I guess that's the challenge of an event that only comes around for your sport at least every four years, every two years if you're alternating. But you get a lot older in between events, and if you happen to miss one, it's all of a sudden eight years later that you get to compete again. So like that hockey player who passed up probably a good NHL contract to play again, a lot of these people really value it. Uh, Shani Davis, I guess, he he gained some notoriety recently because he was complaining about um, I guess how they selected the U.S. flag bearer for the opening ceremony. It was a coin toss. Wow. And he was like, "I did pretty well last Olympics. I mean, if we're going, we should maybe go by resume or the amount of achievements that we've accomplished here instead of just flipping a coin." <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. If you, yeah, you would feel like you if you did well, you'd want to be able to help out in that way. Um, you know, I could if I was going to participate in the Olympics in my mid forties, I could go for one. Like maybe I started training now for the next Winter Olympics. Uh, sledding is that a sport? Yes. <laughs> Luge. <laughs> uh, they say who needs snow? Ecuador, uh, Eritrea, Kosovo, Malaysia, Nigeria, and Singapore are all making their Winter Olympics debut. How fascinating, right? But where would they? Where do they practice? I don't know. <laughs> Indoors. A lot, of, a lot of those are some extremely hot places. Maybe they have to travel long distances to get to a snowy climate. They had the famous uh, Jamaican bobsledding team. <laughs> the, do they still participate? Do you know? I don't know. There was obviously a pretty funny movie about that. Yeah, that they, they gave it their best. <laughs> and they say, if the la- finally here, as far as the Olympic, Olympics go, if you're watching from the comfort of your uh, own home, be thankful. They say temperatures are pretty cold there at uh, Pyeongchang Olympic Stadium. is 8 degrees below zero Fahrenheit for the opening ceremony. Uh, Polo Ralph Lauren will outfit Team USA in heated parkas powered by a battery pack. You, you know, 
how can we be expected to win if we're getting that soft? <laughs> Battery powered coats. Come on. Wow, what a what a technological innovation here. <laughs> we're just always at the forefront, aren't we? Just coming up with these nice new inventions and it, usually the invention is meant to keep people as comfortable as possible. It's going to be uh it's going to be fun. I always enjoy the Olympics and uh it, 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 there is a lot of good about it and uh, of course they're trying to they're trying to say that it's a uh, uh, a step towards peace, I guess, with North and South Korea. I uh, don't think it's going to be that. Uh, Kim Jong-un's sister came yesterday to watch the Olympics, and the media is kind of uh, fawning over her, I guess. They're calling her the North Korean Ivanka. <laughs> so <laughs> no one's really seen her before very much. So she's kind of uh, uh, her father called her the North Korean princess. Wow. So. Yeah, and uh, the North Korean flag was flying high along with all the other representative flags. And I, apparently they had to get government permission. I'm not sure if it was from South Korea or from North Korea, but even something as simple as raising a flag takes a lot of uh, deliberation to make sure that it's appropriate for both sides. It's an interesting thing to think about, allowing them to participate, because on one hand, I, I think people could say, well, you know, maybe it's sort of a, a peace, an ovation towards peace, and maybe we'll, we'll get, get more peaceful. But really, I mean, if you stop and think about it, you have a dictatorial regime that's really harming their own people, threatening to harm the rest of the world, has launched rockets this year, and they're allowed to come participate in a sporting event and are sort of normalized. Uh, it seems like they probably should be banned from it mm-hmm. uh, just because they're, they're so belligerent, at least their leader is. Well, yeah, I mean, if if so many, if Russia's team, its official team is banned for steroids, uh, what is worse if you're talking about representing a nation launching missiles and, and threatening the safety of the entire world is probably a little bit worse although <laughs> Russia's not necessarily too high up on the peacemakers list either but the priorities might not be right there and what is really uh, the incentive at all for the North Korean dictator to change if he still gets to put his team out there in a show of pageantry and power it it's not even costing him in any way what he's doing. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over this the course of these Olympics. Uh, as far as the winter and the winter weather is concerned, if you're living in the Chicago area, of course we have a lot of listeners online there, that's one of our biggest listening cities as far as number of people listening. Uh, a lot of snow coming up this weekend, potentially 13 to 17 inches over the weekend's possible. Of course, it's always localized, so it's not always in one spot, but... Uh, if they get that much, that would be the, if they get up to 17 inches, that would be, uh, on par with some of the biggest uh, snows in history. The mayor urged residents to check on sick and elderly neighbors to make sure they are safe. Yeah, they must, you know, I was, they always say that and I always think, well, the sick and elderly must really like s- storms and power outages. <laughs> That's the only time people check on them. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> no one's checking on these people. Uh, they say this, uh, the, the mayor says the city is ready for this. This is a heavy snow, the heaviest we have seen in a couple of winters. So they'll be dealing with that. And uh, so if you're up in the Chicago area, you know, you're used to snow, but but still, 17 inches is a lot of snow. Yeah, and be thankful you're not in that town in Pennsylvania that got, what was it, over 40 inches. This one here is pretty big, but apparently it only like barely cracks the top 10 worst in Chicago ever. They had 23 inches in 1967 in a two-day span. So yeah, uh, it's pretty incredible just how you even survive that or like the amount of preparation you would have to undergo to make sure that uh, you're ready to hunker down in your house for quite some time in case you get snowed in. Yeah. It's interesting. You said Pennsylvania. That's where they always have the um, 
oh, what's that guy that comes out of the ground, the groundhog, or right. <laughs> to, to like look for a shadow? <laughs> and they they did that a while back. Puxatani Phil, Phil? Is yeah, that what his name is. Yeah, which is a, you know it's a silly thing, but I saw in the news the other day that he came out, saw a shadow, and so there's going to be more winter, I guess. <laughs> but if you have that much snow, how would he even come up in the first place? <laughs> That's a good indication you have more winter coming when there's so much snow he can't even get out. <laughs> so they, they must have dug him out. <laughs> yeah, that at least they even had the events still. Maybe it's not as bad as we thought initially. <laughs> Maybe not. You know, it's really interesting uh, just some of the technology that's out there and, and the way it's being used uh, in, in all sorts of uh, aspects of our lives. And China's really on the forefront of some of that. Here's an interesting uh, note from TechCrunch. Chinese police are using smart glasses to identify potential suspects. This is like out of a movie. Uh, it's sort of like Google Glass. That never really took off here in the States, but at least not yet. It says China already operates the world's largest surveillance state with some 170 closed-circuit TV cameras at work. But its line of sight is about uh, to get a new angle thanks to new smart eyewear that is being piloted by police officers. Talk about profiling, right? Uh, the smart specs look a lot like Google Glass, but they are used for identifying potential suspects. The device connects to a feed which taps into China's state database to root out potential criminals using facial recognition. Officers can identify suspects in a crowd by snapping their photo and matching it to the database. Beyond a name, officers are also supplied with the person's address. Chinese state media reports that the technology has already facilitated the capture of seven individuals, while 35 others using fake IDs are said to have been found. So, you know, very interesting, right? If you're walking down the street, now, if you're not breaking the law, you probably have nothing to worry about. But, and you have a police officer looking at you, they're not just looking at you. They're scanning your face, and they're figuring out with their database if there's a reason to uh, come over and maybe uh, nab you. And that's the the question, though, isn't it? Um, is it really safe when we're able to be surveilled that closely? Uh, theoretically, we wouldn't get in trouble unless we were doing something wrong. But in the hands of a dictatorial government, if we simply have any thoughts that are differing from theirs, that could be a pretty big problem. Um, just the, the ability to track people down, it does remind you of, like you said, uh, different movies like Minority Report, The Lives of Others, uh, George or Orwell's book, 1984. Uh, it's, it is a bit of an overreach into people's lives. Uh, there's even this quote from the Harvard Law Review, and he's talking about how these warnings are no longer science fiction. He says the digital technologies that have revolutionized our daily lives have also created minutely detailed records of those lives. In an age of terror, our government has shown a keen willingness to acquire this data and use it for unknown purposes. So this is talking about the American government, which even goes farther than it should. Uh, it's not just a, a place like China, but it's, it's, it, hit, it, hit, it hits home uh, here as well. Um, and he even mentioned this supercomputing center in Utah with the NSA, and that actually caught my eye because uh, Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flory mentions that in his booklet great again how they had this this secret uh, center that has way all this data of american citizens uh and what are they using it for they won't tell anyone they won't let anyone in to see it uh it just it is suspicious anytime a government gets this kind of power and they're not telling people what they're using it for you just have to wonder i guess you just have to guess what is happening it's interesting there's a lot a lot uh, of surveillance going on uh, one other note related to this story here in China as well. 
is they did an experiment. They wanted they had a BBC reporter, uh, John Sudworth, and they they wanted to see how long would it take for him to get spotted in a crowd. And uh, China's CCTV surveillance network took just seven minutes to capture him. And that's in China. So, I mean, there's a lot of people in China. Uh, so, But that's how effective their, their uh, CCTV surveillance network is. It says this wasn't a case of the media being forcibly removed from the country. The chase was a stunt set up to illustrate just how powerful and effective the Chinese government surveillance system can be. It's a stark example of the type of monitoring that China has invested heavily in over recent years with the aim of helping police do their jobs more efficiently. And again, like you uh, mentioned, yeah, it could help people do their jobs more efficiently. But if you start overreaching on that job, uh, that that comes up a lot here, of course, like you mentioned in the U.S., because... Yes, you want to have information to catch terrorists or whatever, but if you just have information on everybody, wh- wh- what what happens to that? What what do people do with it? Who's in charge of it? I think those are some things that make some questions that make people a little bit nervous and probably rightfully so. Well, was it a mistake that they use a journalist as part of their stunt? Was this maybe some kind of a warning to other journalists who disagree with <laughs> what's going on in China or other places uh, of all different prov- professions they could have chosen to be a part of that stunt they chose a journalist which is uh, a pretty dangerous precedent to set or a pretty dangerous message to send to other people who might say things that are critical of the government that's that's very true that's a real like shot across the bow right <laughs> like yeah, you could come here and report something unfavorable, but we can find you. <laughs> in just seven minutes, we'll find you. Seven exactly. minutes, yeah. And uh, so that's, that's really interesting. There was sort of a, I don't know, I guess kind of a humorous note about this. There was recently um, uh, Apple got in a little bit of hot water because they said their iPhones, they have the face recognition software, but it didn't work on Asian people. <laughs> so they said no. it was some sort of like racial thing. And... Uh, my wife pointed out to me, though, she's like, but aren't those phones made in China? <laughs> I said, you're, you're right. So, But they couldn't recognize facial recognition. But obviously, the, the, their technology over there is pretty good. They can catch it quickly. Of Whoa. course, the BBC reporter, he would have stood out like a sore thumb anyway, right? <laughs> they should have maybe used somebody else. Yeah, it probably would have taken a couple of days to find someone who looked just like everyone else yeah. over there instead of standing out that much. But again, is that is that a mistake too that they can't track Chinese people? I don't know, but it just it's just kind of weird that they couldn't recognize certain people, but they could others. Yeah, really strange. So anyway, um, people uh, are are not, anywhere we go now. I suppose. I mean, there there's cameras. You see them. You go into a store. You go into a bank. You, almost anywhere you go, you're, there's cameras, and uh, that's just kind of part of our life. Um, here's here's something that technology is doing that might be beneficial to some people. Uh, Amazon's going to uh, deliver Whole Foods groceries in two hours for Prime users. So if you're an Amazon Prime user and you're in a certain location, you might have your groceries delivered if you want to do that. Amazon will start delivering groceries from Whole Foods via its two-hour Prime Now delivery service. Customers in Austin, Cincinnati, Dallas, and Virginia Beach will be the first to get the service with Amazon planning to expand the offering across the U.S. this year. Two-hour delivery will be free, and a one-hour option costs seven ninety-nine on orders of thirty-five dollars or more. So you know, I mean, if you if you're uh, super busy, or um, maybe you just can't get out like you used to, this might not be a bad idea. Yeah, I guess the seven ninety-nine would offset the time that it takes you to 
drive to a place or to, um, I guess, spend money on gas to get there. So uh, it seems like it would be a pretty cool innovation. And it's just one of many that Amazon has come up with. I was looking at their website and they have that Amazon Echo, which is like that uh, voice activated digital assistant that you can just put in your home. Now, there there are some, I guess, drawbacks to that where your two-year-old could probably start ordering things online if, if you wanted to. True. <laughs> uh, so you have to be careful about that. But then there's the like one-hour delivery, 30-minute delivery, uh, just, just depending on where you are. Again, they have their own wind and solar farms. Uh, the Kindle, which is basically a way of reading books on a digital device, but it looks like it's like you're still reading it off of paper. Uh, obviously, they have the Prime accounts where you can get that free two-day shipping. And their fulfillment network has 50,000-plus employees who are packaging these items and sending them out all over the world. Yeah, it's interesting. Of course, Amazon, they bought Whole Foods, right, recently? Yeah, I don't know. Probably I think, I think that's they why they're partnering with them. Their, yeah, so they're, they're kind of using that as well. So it's interesting. It's interesting how grocery stores have changed over the years. Uh, when I was a kid, you used to go to a grocery store, get all your, your groceries, and after the checkout— and then they would give you your ticket and they'd write a number on it, like 25. And then they'd, you'd pull around and the person would come out and load them into your car. Have you ever, have you ever seen that? No, I've never seen that. So, yeah, you're, you're a little younger than me, so yeah. they don't do that anymore. But now, they're, they're, now they want to deliver it to your house. So. Oh. But in Ireland, they did that. When we went there, you could call ahead and order your groceries and they'd be in your hotel room when you showed up. So we loved that. That was a great service. Yeah, that's fantastic. Any, anything that... Uh, Anything that's like a breakthrough in the convenience area, a lot of people are going to be receptive to that and at least give it a try because, uh, you know, sometimes we just don't want to leave home. <laughs> that's 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 what pizza delivery was made yeah. for. You know, these types of things where you want to have pizza, but you don't want to go to the restaurant and sit down there and have it. You just want to bring it back for uh, a gathering that you're having at your house. And then people came up with the way to, to deliver it. I mean, it's it is just a way of kind of fitting people's demands and uh, any company that does that well is going to be really successful that would be a pretty neat job as a teenager you know that wouldn't be a bad summer job or after school job just delivering groceries to people uh here's an interesting note from san francisco there's a lot of people there but of course a lot of people are leaving too san francisco bay area experiences mass exodus of residents they say the number of people packing up and moving out of the bay area just hit its highest level in more than a decade they give an example of some people that are leaving. Um, and uh, this one person says, I loved it here when I first got here. I really loved it here, but it's just not the same. And uh, some people are saying they don't like the fact that it is a, um, you know, it's becoming a lot of uh, illegal immigration, a lot of crime, other issues like that. Of course, there's people coming in all the time. It's a very expensive area. And so some people are doing what a lot of California residents have done over the years, sell their house <laughs> for a lot of money and then move somewhere, buy a bigger house for half the price and <laughs> bank the rest of it. So uh, some people are trying to get out of there because it's so expensive. There's the crime, the illegal immigration, all that, the sanctuary city status. So it's not like it's becoming a ghost town by any means, but some people are thinking about getting on out of San Francisco. Yeah, it's so bad over there that that article talks about how it's the, the very top place in the country for people leaving it's just because you know a one bedroom apartment costs three thousand five hundred ninety dollars one bedroom that's how much it costs i mean you have to have quite a, a high paying job to even <laughs> get anywhere close to being able to pay that every month that's what's so outrageous i think about say uh a 
capitalist economy. Now, there's a lot there's a lot that can be good about it, but when it's abused, that that's when it really is irritating to people. I think because okay, so there's higher paying jobs. Well, why why does everyone have to pay more for a house? You know, I I can understand there might be a little bit of a difference there. We had a story a couple of years ago about people making quite a bit of money cutting the dead trees out of California because of fire danger, and you make a lot of money doing that. But then every little town along there, all of a sudden, they tripled their housing prices because they know people are making money. And it's, so, so it's kind of a, it's a difficulty because, yes, it's nice to earn the bigger salary, but if you're putting it all back into just living there, I think a lot of people are looking and saying, well, hey, well, I could probably, you know, go live somewhere else and have a better, uh, you know, do a little better with the money that I'm making. Exactly. It's really an inefficient way to spend your money if it's all going toward your housing and a lot of financial analysts say that you shouldn't spend more than a quarter of your income on housing. Are a lot of people in San Francisco really abiding by that if they're paying close to $4,000 a month for a one-bedroom apartment? Is that really only a quarter of their monthly income because if that if that's true they're making well up into the 200,000s every single year. Yeah, not able to save as much as they'd like. And then, uh, well, if you lose your job or if there's downsizing, you know, then you're stuck with this massive uh, housing bill that you probably can't afford. So anyway, uh, San Francisco is, uh, has people leaving. Uh, they could go down to L.A. if they want. <laughs> there's a plan to house L.A.'s homeless. There's a massive amount of homeless people. I think it's over 50,000 in L.A. alone. Uh, but they have a plan to house L.A.'s homeless now. Uh, by transforming parking lots in the city. There's these older parking lots that the city owns, and so some people are saying, well, maybe you should just use that land to build either homeless shelter or low-income housing to to, to house the homeless. Um, that may be a good idea. I don't know. But if you're somebody that has a business or a property near one of those parking lots, that would be a horrible idea for you because I'd rather have a parking lot sitting there than a homeless shelter because your property value is going to tank now. Exactly. And and you've said before on this show how it's 58,000 people in yeah. L.A. who are homeless. And that's a lot of people to try to deal with. I found this description of the homelessness crisis there. It's, it's from the L.A. Times on January 28th. And this guy's just walking down the street and he describes what he sees. And he also has background of living there when he was younger. He came back when he was older and looked at it again. So this is what he says. He says, one block, 31 tenths. On Skid Row, this is the norm, and it has been for years. On a recent day, it was not possible to walk on the sidewalk in the one-block stretch of 6th Street between San Julian and Wall Streets. Rows of tents and blue tarp shanties lined the entire stretch, extending all the way to the curb so you had to walk in the street. Uh, And then he says... um, he recalled two prostitutes who conducted business in porta potties at the corner of Six and San Julian Streets when he was younger. Uh, that was just a block from the police station. Wow. Um, he says, I recall the wheelchair brigades, the haunted faces of those tortured by mental illness, the cruising drug dealers, and the heroin addict who died of an overdose before our eyes in the ambulance on the way to the emergency room. That's what you see on a regular basis in the streets of L.A. It's obviously a problem that you have to take drastic measures to fix. Right, and that's that's a great description because just building a homeless shelter or low-income housing doesn't solve the problem. Because in a lot of cases, the homeless people, uh, there's a reason uh, that they're in that condition. And, it, and in some cases, maybe they're just down on their luck, as they would say. But in, but usually, if somebody's willing to kind of work, they can get out of that situation. But what you do have is you have a lot of drugs, 
you have a lot of, you know, things that go with it, which is crime and prostitution and so forth. And then you have mental illness. You have all those problems. And those people, uh, putting them in a temporary housing place or even, even if they'd stay there the whole time, it just doesn't clean up all that activity. And uh, so usually what happens is they just they don't stay at those places. They might stay for a night or two, but then they're back out doing whatever. So uh, the solution to it is, well, ultimately it's restoring family is what it is, mm-hmm. you know, to where you, they need a family unit who takes care of these people. How do they get in this condition in the first place? I, I appreciate what they're trying to do because they have to try to solve the problem but just throwing up another building doesn't solve the problem. Exactly. Those shelters would be a great idea if everyone who moved in to live there stopped all these immoral, destructive habits. Otherwise, what kind of a living environment is it going to be if you just happen to have walls around you and a roof over your head, but there's still heroin addicts all around you, there's still insane people all around you, there's still people hiring prostitutes all around. I mean, it's it's going to be the same kind of filth but just indoors and like you said it's going to take up a lot of space in the city to build all these structures too and then who maintains them do they become just a dilapidated you know house of filth maybe uh, and like you said that just putting somebody indoors doesn't clean up their behavior yeah so uh it's those, it, those would be some wretched places to live oh just because those are people who are out on the street for a reason and they're going to live like they're out on the street even when they get put back into a building. Yeah. And in some cases, I think, even though they're on the street and they have their issues, they want to be a little bit removed from the other people that are on the street with their issues. You don't yeah. want to crowd them all in one one bill. I mean, quite honestly, that becomes what sort of an insane asylum. Yeah. If people are dealing with lots of problems like that or the drugs or whatever. And who, who polices the building? <laughs> you know, when somebody comes and goes, are you checking them for what they're doing or what they're involved in? So... It is a crisis in Los Angeles, no doubt about that. 58,000 homeless. That's the size of a city. It's just amazing. Uh, Make sure you stop and check out thetrumpet.com today. Top stories. This is a great one. The uh, beautiful truth that would solve the sex scandals is by Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Fleury. There is a way to solve these. He says, why did God make sex? His purposes are far deeper and more beautiful than most people realize. And... uh, this Me Too movement continues to be an issue, and, and uh, it's every day you hear a headline or two about it, and uh, but you don't hear a lot of solutions for the problem. Yeah, and probably what people are starting to forget now, um, because of all these scandals recently, is that God created sex to be very good, if they even knew that God created it in the first place, which a lot of them don't, but he created it very good, and he's proud of it, and doesn't think there's anything shameful about it at all if it's used the right way within marriage between a man and a woman who love each other and are trying to raise a family that points to the God family, uh, then there's nothing wrong with it at all. But the way we treat it, it's all, it's almost like um, just a, a device that you want to obtain. Just like if you want the latest phone, go out and grab it. And that's the same thing that the way that people treat uh, sex. Mr. Flores even described it like alley cats. I mean, it's just a savage way of uh, trying to seek out a way to fulfill lust. Yeah, and whether it's the homeless issue or whether it's this Me Too movement or any of these things, you you really get back to a family problem. I mean, even, even with the budget, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, how the U.S. has passed this budget again for a while, part of it is, well, they say, well, we need money for the opioid crisis. You're going to pay people to not take drugs? Now I know there's rehab <laughs> and that type of thing, but, but family is what protects you from that. 
and all these problems, the answer is is a God-fearing family structure, but people aren't willing to go to that. In relation to this a Me Too movement, this is from Politico. It says, uh, the Me Too movement lawmaker investigated for sexual misconduct allegations. This is a lady, California legislator. She was actually on the cover of the Time magazine. You remember the, the Avengers or whatever, or People of the Year, whatever it said? All those ladies, she would feature prominently. Well, now it turns out she's uh, assaulting men. <laughs> Three have come forward so far. So it's just the hypocrisy is, is everywhere. And this does dispel the notion that it's all men who are potential predators and it's only men who could uh, do something horrible like this to another person. Uh, it's The problem really is that men are physically bigger and more powerful, so they do present usually more of a danger if they decide to get aggressive like that. But it's pretty commonplace, I'm sure, in a lot of workplaces for women to do kind of similar things. But because men don't feel threatened by it, they wouldn't report it either. That's That was the case in these situations where they just they were strong enough to say physically to say, no, yeah. this isn't happening. And then then it, it moved on. But it was still the same sort of uh assault that just couldn't be carried all all the way through so but they have come forward now i guess probably because they said oh come on when they saw this lady (laughs) being at the forefront of a movement and they said you you know what you did so (laughs) anyway a bad situation there but there is a good solution to it and that's the important point and you can read about that in this uh, write-up the beautiful truth that would solve the sex scandals that's at the trumpet.com brand new key of david this weekend as well why habakkuk had such great faith In this dangerous age, no character trait is more vital than faith. The prophet Habakkuk teaches us how to develop deep, life-saving faith. Great program. You can watch it uh, this weekend if you'd like to on television, or it's it's on the website on thetrumpet.com, and the audio is here at KPCG. I say Habakkuk. Some people say Habakkuk. (laughs) I've heard There's lots of different ways to say it. How do you say it, Habakkuk? Habakkuk. Probably that's the American way of saying it, at least. The American way, yeah. There's there's always different ways that people say names, and uh, uh, names from the Bible are always fascinating because they're not common. Like we don't see them today as much. I've never I've never met anyone with that name. <laughs> well, my dad said that apparently um, one of one of the students at the college was telling him about uh, one of the judges named Deborah, the the female judge yeah. in the Bible, and. Uh, he had always thought it was pronounced Deborah. So he's like, you know, I learned this great lesson from Deborah. And my dad just burst out laughing. <laughs> and the guy didn't even know what the problem was at all. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, if, if you've never heard it a different way, yeah. you'd think. Uh, the, the one that always amazed me, as far as a nationally known name or globally known, was Hosni, Hosni Mubarak. Mm-hmm. Because when Egypt was going through its turmoil and he was being sort of uh, knocked off of power there, I heard his name pronounced probably three or four different ways. And I always thought it was commonly just Hosni Mubarak, but then I heard I heard Mubarak and Mubarak mm-hmm. and a just bizarre, <laughs> to me, bizarre name, but apparently there's different ways of saying those things. Apparently, although if you did ask the man himself, probably he would not give you 20 <laughs> different pronunciations. Right. Uh, and and even even socially, it is usually considered somewhat offensive, at least, to get someone's name wrong, but we all just don't really know so it's kind of hard to uh, keep up sometimes that's why you just say hey you (laughs) hey guy (laughs) hey guy (laughs) yeah that's the name biblical name too hey guy uh the trumpet daily program today make sure you listen for this uh your host Stephen flurry talks about the u.s going further and further into debt there's a a budget that's been passed i guess budget's kind of a funny word for it it's not a budget (laughs) it's uh, a spending spree (laughs) 
Uh, Fox News has this. Trump okays $400 billion budget deal after House pulls all-nighter to cut off another government shutdown. Oh, it was amazing the other day. Nancy Pelosi spoke for eight hours. It stood there. So you got to hand it to her. I mean, she's not a she's not a spring chicken, and that's that's a long time to stand there and say things. So she was uh, filibustering, yes, huh? Fili- that, the filibustering. filibuster is like it's one of the most interesting things in all of the country. Just the fact that you're allowed to get up there for in some cases for more than a day. And uh, I've I've looked at the the history of the filibuster in the past for a speech that I had to give a few years ago, uh-huh. and. There have been people who have literally done it for more than 24 hours straight, or they would tag team. So as soon as they got tired after like six or seven hours, they'd have someone else to go up there with uh, in their place, and then they'd switch back. There were even people who had snacks and drinks that they would bring up there with them to sustain themselves for being up there for maybe two or three days at a time, and even even ways to relieve themselves up there, which is kind of... Uh, you know that just shows you they should probably just stop talking if if they're having that issue but it just they go to a lot of extremes and the whole point of it is to stifle what the other political party wants to do they want to delay the vote as long as possible so that everyone gets fed up and goes home instead of actually coming to any conclusion that's a great example of letter of the law spirit of the law right <laughs> they're they're they are keeping the letter of the law like they can yeah. technically do it but obviously they're not adding anything of value to the conversation it's just a stall well anyway that's 400 billion dollar budget that got passed president trump signed a massive budget package early this morning friday morning that lifts spending caps while funding the government through march 23rd uh, they shut down, I guess, for like an hour or something, the government did. <laughs> On Twitter, the president touted the bill's billions in additional military spending. He said, just sign bill. Our military will now be stronger than ever before. We love and need our military and gave them everything and more. First time this has happened in a long time. Also means jobs, jobs, jobs. <laughs> it, was all all, it was in all caps, so I had to say it that way. So anyway, they've, uh, they've, they're spending all this extra money. Don't know where it's coming from. Well, it's debt. And, uh, of course, it does stop and make you think about how, uh, you know, God warned Israel that uh, he'd break the pride of their power, you know. Well, you might have power, you might have (laughs) the money to spend, but what are you going to do with it? Yeah, and how often have we come to the verge of a shutdown or actually shut down? I mean, it seems like it's a yearly occurrence, or at least maybe even a few times a year sometimes, just how we have people who have such bitter division in the government that they can never come to a consensus and even this bill made people upset apparently like this article says there were objections from the democrats because there wasn't some sort of uh spending i guess allotment for immigration but it it upset republicans because of the sheer amount of spending they stayed up all night and made no one happy uh that's just the reality of government right now if you had to describe our government in one sentence, that's kind of how it is. They're figuratively staying up all night, but no one is happy from it. Yeah, it's a it's just pushing the can down the road. Uh, um, so there's yeah, there was some protest against it, but they they kept it going. Um, so uh, anyway, that's uh, there's a lot more about that on the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today. Make sure you uh, do listen for that. And uh, well, as long as I get my tax return. <laughs> Because if they shut down the government, they slow down the IRS, too. Oh, that's right. So I was like, yeah, I do have to admit that part of me was like, okay, well, just... <laughs> Let's move this along. <laughs> if you're going to shut it down, do it in the summer <laughs> or something. Uh, we want to spend the rest of uh, today's program talking about this uh, topic that you hear a lot about, which is climate change. And uh, it's coming up because of the Olympics. 
and uh, the independent.co.uk has this write-up that says, Sport must prepare for irreversible changes due to climate change unless it becomes part of the solution. So sports is going to save uh, us from climate change, apparently. <laughs> and anyway, they just bring out the point that, uh, you know, they, the golf courses are all going to be underwater and <laughs> and uh, there will be no more Winter Olympics because everything will, you know, the, the snow will melt and all that. So anyway, they're really uh, attacking or pushing this climate change agenda through all sorts of avenues, including sports. And then, Grant, you've got this write-up here from Breitbart about it with the Olympics. Climate change advocates use Olympics to advance agenda. So what are what are they doing uh, with the Olympics? Well, well, first of all, it is astounding to see the amount of urgency they have for a problem that they say will really only hit us at earliest the end of the century. There are issues today that w- could affect us tomorrow or next week, like the crippling national debt and the proliferation of nuclear weapons. But of all things, this is the one that we have to focus on first and foremost, even though it's not coming to pass for another 80 years. You know, maybe the priorities could be a little bit different. Uh, I, I don't know all the details every time about every situation, but anyone should be able to see that maybe there are some more pressing problems to take care of. Yeah, that's a great point, because if, if you look at, say, uh, biblical prophecies that, that have been talked about for at least in modern times, the last 80, 90 years, if you look back at Herbert Armstrong and, and continuing now with uh, the Philadelphia Church of God, people, if if they're being skeptical, they'll say, oh, well, that, you know, it's been 50 years and that hasn't happened. But then you flip this around <laughs> and they and, and it's like this author from the, the Telegraph says, uh, he says, quote, um, I suppose that the time for raising mere awareness rather than screaming alarm has long since passed for climate change. Well, what, what about, not, not that we want to get off the topic here, but I mean, if you just start thinking about God's prophecies, what about the time for screaming alarm for that? Yeah, it, uh, of all times, this is when we need the most urgency regarding actual events that are going to come to pass. And the Bible guarantees it's not going to be climate change that destroys America or destroys the world. It will be nuclear weapons that bring us to the total brink of human annihilation. This article is from uh, Breitbart. It's called Climate Change Advances or Advocates Use Olympics to Advance Agenda. And there's a funny quote here pretty close to the beginning. He says, although it is difficult for meteorologists to predict the weather even one week out, some scientists are using models they say can forecast the climate at the end of the 21st century. So we are relying on people whose forecasts are frequently inaccurate. Unlike the Bible, which is accurate every time, we're looking to men who tell us that at the end of the century, uh, total climate apocalypse is going to take place, yet they can't tell us what's happening a week from now. Yeah, it's very fascinating. And even the fact that now they're, they're starting, to, like it says here, use the Olympics in some ways, you have, if you just want to look at the immediacy of threats, you have North Korea participating in the Olympics, which is threatening at any time to blow up the world. But they're allowed to participate, and that, that's great, you know, in some people's estimation. But then this this weather forecast that's, like you said, almost a century away, that's the big concern. Uh, you know, I think just any, any logical person would say that seems a bit uh, unbalanced. Exactly. And even even the way they're trying to scream alarm about climate change this time there's just saying that um eight out of the last 21 um 
previous Winter Olympics hosts would not be cold enough, or they, they would be the only ones cold enough to actually host the games by the end of the century. So again, by the end of the century, that uh, only eight out of the last 21 Olympic hosts would be cold enough to host the Olympics. Doesn't mean that everything's falling apart by the end of the century it just means maybe we don't have as much snow on the mountains for the downhill ski event we're, t- we're we're sounding the alarm here about not having enough snow for playing sports that's not too much of a concern if you look at the grand scheme of things well right and that's even assuming that that would be correct i mean like we, <laughs> we talked about earlier it's negative eight degrees there in south korea for the the opening of the olympics they, they're plenty cold what cities could you have the Winter Olympics in right now? Chicago, because they're going to get 17 mm. inches of snow, maybe. Um, you know, you name it, <laughs> right? Like, it's not like we're we're lacking for places. We've had record snowfall in some parts of the world. Like, which one is it? Because they say record snowfalls because of climate change. No snowfalls, climate change. Average year, climate change. <laughs> it, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. Well, and it's also funny because their model says that if we all, if all nations in the world kept their Paris Climate Accord uh, pledges and they reduce greenhouse gas emissions and whatever else it tells you to do, uh, then 12 out of the 21 last hosts would still be cold enough. So we'd go up from 8 to 12, but it still wouldn't be all 21 of them that are still cold enough. Apparently, we would make minimal changes from keeping the Paris Climate Accord that everyone says uh, is going to end the world if we don't keep. Remember, the left went into a meltdown, <laughs> I guess, uh literally and figuratively <laughs> whenever whenever they were talking about uh getting out of the Paris climate accord when president trump withdrew from that and yet the the biggest problem with it is that four fewer cities will be able to host the winter olympics in the next 80 years that's what we're talking about that's what the the extreme calamity is that everyone is so worried about so and their solution is to jump back into this paris climate accord i'm sure that will solve it uh, as as far as what like the best idea that they've proposed right and uh the last two days february 7th and 8th they just had scientists and educators just had this pyeongchang forum on the earth and its citizens uh there they were discussing climate change and other environmental topics um the quote here is organizers hope the new event will create a valuable ongoing forum to discuss the globe's environmental challenges and prospects for increased environmental sustainability Uh, And then another person says, for me, it's an ideal opportunity to really connect with a broader spectrum of people. So, again, spread the agenda by pushing it on people who are watching the Olympics and to bring them into the fold to think about the consequences in their own lifetimes and how they can take positive action. But again, how many of us are living until twenty one hundred? Right. And and it's it's convenient to make forecasts that far out. Yeah, because nobody's going to be here to to see it as far as those making the forecast right now yeah. or they'll forgotten about it you know that's why it is more of a challenge to be a weatherman because people are going to hold you to it mm-hmm. hey you said on tuesday it was going to rain right <laughs> well if you say 100 years from now there won't be you know snow in the mountains well you can say a lot of things mm-hmm. who's going to hold you to it <laughs> right i mean you'll be dead and gone there's right. no concern at that point uh, so it is a clever argument to make because just the sheer scope of time that we're talking about is so vast that no one could really hold you accountable in this lifetime. That's uh, pretty smart, actually. Right. So even though they're they're you know they're obviously using the Olympics or using whatever platform they can to get this this climate change uh, idea out there, uh, it is a pretty deceptive and a pretty dangerous 
ideology. It's not just, oh, well, maybe they're wrong. Uh, there is something more to it, and there's a, you have a write-up from the Trumpet.com that gets into that aspect. Yes, this is titled What the Paris Climate Agreement Was Really About, and it's from Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry from the August 27 Trumpet Print Edition. Uh, he writes here, on June 1st, this is last year, United States President Donald Trump shook the Democratic Party, the news media, and the radical liberals when he pulled America out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Many people acted shocked, but this was something Mr. Trump promised he would do when he was campaigning for office. Uh, then a, another paragraph down, he says, everyone should want a clean environment and for everything to function properly. We should be good stewards of this beautiful planet. But the Paris Agreement was not about that. That might actually surprise some people to hear that it wasn't about saving the environment because in reality, all of us want to live in an environment of fresh air, clean water, you know, green fields and everything else, you know, vibrant trees. But the question is, how do we do that? How do we actually sustain that? And are all these different climate change agreements the way to go? Right. Is there... Is this the honest agenda? Is it to just give us a better living environment, or is there there more to it? Uh, is it a power grab? What are they What are they really looking at here, under sort of the guise of better environment for everybody? And that he gets into that in this uh, write up. Yes, there is a hidden agenda behind the Paris Climate Accord and a lot of these other movements where. Basically, America and a lot of top Western nations have to dump billions of dollars into the United Nations, which is the most corrupt institution in the world, as Mr. Flurry described it. Uh, he writes here, the details of this accord are shocking. President Barack Obama joined it in 2016 by executive order. He bypassed Congress because he knew Congress wouldn't pass it. It was a dictatorial move. So even the way we got into it was dubious at best. Uh, then he says, the agreement obliged America to pay $100 billion a year for actions on climate change. Um, and then he also goes on to say how anytime America gets involved in, whether it be a climate change agreement or any of these world initiatives, America is expected to keep its word exactly and do everything it pledged to do while other nations are not. Um, like China, they're the greatest polluter in the world, but they don't even have to slow down carbon em emissions in any way until 2030. And India, they, they're in a similar predicament. But why is it that America, when it's actually cutting these gas emissions more than any nation already, is expected to keep such a high standard? Yeah, it's it definitely weakens the U.S. position in the world, and it it bolsters everybody else's. And really, it's it's sort of like a, a well, I would I was going to say sort of a balancing, but it's not even a balancing because it's designed to suppress the U.S. Mm -hmm. to suppress U.S. industry. To, to to hold the United States to some sort of almost unkeepable standard, at least in the current w the way things are constructed, and letting these other nations just do what they want, you know, and and maybe they'll come around at some point, you know, and so it it really does weaken the U.S. position. It, it really does, and we've we've talked about examples on this show before where, you know, maybe a state will spend twenty five million dollars on this elaborate project that in effect only offsets the carbon emissions of one person. So $25 million for one person, uh, it's, it's doing nothing. $100 billion were plunging into the United Nations, uh, and yet 
what can they really do that is cost effective that will actually get anything accomplished that will actually change the course of the world uh, in any way <laughs> at all. I mean, there's not, there's not really much, the math doesn't add up in any way. There's no way that you could justify wasting all that money. And what Mr. Flurry says is, what is happening here is not about the environment. It is about destroying the United States. Uh, there's far from being a scientific consensus on climate change. In fact, examples abound of scientific fraud supposedly proving man-made climate change. The real issue here is control. Environmental regulation gives significantly more power to bureaucrats. The governments most in favor of confronting climate change are the socialist, Marxist-type governments that want to control everything. So there you go. Um, America really shouldn't be in favor of this whatsoever. That's not even close to what our government was meant to be. It's uh, it's sort of a uh, Trojan horse to take control. You know, this, oh, who doesn't want a better environment? Come on, it's science. But then, well, who has power at the end? And that's really the question. Who has power? <laughs> it's a power grab. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't come in to the to the public sphere and say, we would like to take over everything. Who would like us to do that? <laughs> you have to come in and say, boy, if we don't do something quick about this climate change, oh, we're, we're, we're doomed. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll go ahead and just take over if that's okay. And look at all the the pink-hatted, sign-waving protesters that have filled all the big uh, cities across the country. They've gone out in the streets. They've demonstrated. They mindlessly believe what they're being told by leaders who treat climate change as their religion. This is the way that they're able to become filthy rich off of people who do not know what is happening. Um, And it does hurt American business and as Mr. Fleury brings out, the Paris Agreement actually weakened America and empowered America's critics and enemies like many other of Mr. Obama's actions. On a physical level, you can't even explain what the last president was doing because nothing he did even helped the country that he was ruling. Right. It was uh, definitely a lot of undermining. There's a lot more about that that you can read that we don't have time to get into today, but it's there at thetrumpet.com or right up on the uh that deadly deception about climate change. So really important to look at because you're going to hear a lot about it. And I, I guarantee you, obviously, from these uh, write-ups from Breitbart and other places that uh, the Olympics is going to be uh, advertising it to you on some <laughs> level, that there's all this climate change. Pollution is an issue, though. One last closing note. Um, if we wanted to clean up the pollution, there's a way we could do that. Their uh, combined weight of the Mardi Gras beads pulled from five blocks worth of New Orleans storm drains during a recent cleanup project. 46 tons. People go to Mardi Gras and they throw their beads around and do other things. Wow. And there's 46 tons of them down in the down in the sewers. So <laughs> no one's talking about canceling that. That would probably solve a lot of problems, Just not just because of the beads, but <laughs> because of uh, cleaning up some of the morals. Well, yeah, and how many of those same people who throw their beads in the gutter also pretend to care about climate change, and yet they're out here littering and polluting the environment in a much more tangible way. Yeah, and in a pretty gross way. There's a lot in the gutter there at uh, <laughs> those celebrations, <laughs> more than just the beads. Uh, so uh, that's a great write-up there at thetrumpet.com. Make sure you check that out. That's all the time we have for uh, this weekend edition of Trumpet Radio Live. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program. It's a new one, Trumpet Daily Radio Show, Trumpet Hour Week in Review as well this weekend. For Grant Turge and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday.
listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.